Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside Picnic. Uh, as always, I'm here with the Deckard to my whatever Ryan Gosling's character was in Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> I, I ran out of time to look it up. But, uh, you know, I'm here with Pete, as always. And um, we're joined by two, count them two, very special guests. Uh, they are the proud new proprietors of Headwater Literary Management. And they are also the co-hosts of the award-winning print run podcast that is Eric Kane and Laura Zatz. Am I pronouncing those names right? I'm sorry. Did I do that wrong? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yes. Well done. <laughs> I should know this by now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Thank you both for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this is great. I'm glad to be here finally. Well, um, I would like to start with a softball, and I think if I'd have pre-cleared this with Connor, he would have attempted to veto it, but I was a St. Paul native for mm. 23 years before I moved here, and I've got to know, is Hunan Garden still there? Yes, it is. Oh my God, that is the most terrifying <laughs> bar on earth. Like, I wouldn't I've know never because been. I don't go to St. Paul. That's not true. You come here every week. The podcast that, headquarters is in St. Paul. <laughs> don't know where it is. Don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, so I take it you don't have kids, right? Oh. <laughs> Correct. Ooh, slam dunk. Just you wait. Just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, there's a lot. Like, uh, you know, we're having you on here because uh, for many reasons. First of all, we're big fans of the pod. We also uh, asked. Thank you. You, you did ask. That's true. Uh, well, I'm glad you got record, that out there. Connor has been talking about having you guys on since the pod began. So, I mean, it, you, you didn't ask in a vacuum. We wanted you here. Oh, good. Feeling spiritual, well, then. It's always great when you're in um, circles where people are writing and you can say, oh, yeah, my friends, who are literary agents, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I get a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah. Um, I, speaking of which, uh, congrats. Like the pod is amazing and I think everyone should go listen to print run, but, um, at the particular, particular juncture, I'm really interested in the new agency, which you two have struck out on your own. So huge congrats on that. Thank um, you. I'm just really excited that nobody can like complain to the manager about me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was now, a good primary motivation for being on our own is there yeah. is no one that can whine about us or to I, about just, us to anyone else anymore. Just wait, though, because as soon as Eric says that, he's going to get something saying like, are you sure you want that uppity woman in this pot? <laughs> you should you should talk to her about her thoughts and feelings. But and I will. I will talk to her. about her <laughs> You know what, sir? You have a good point. Uh, yeah. Um, gosh. Oh, dear. Um, so I, I what I'm curious about uh, and I have had so many like long maudlin DM exchanges with Eric about this before, but I'm really curious, uh, how would you two, particularly when it comes to fiction writers, I realize um, your client list is not just fiction, but like when it comes to fiction writers, which is a lot of what our audience is interested in, how do you see the role of an agent at, in late 2019? Like where we are now, what do what agents, uh, you know, what is, what is an agent to a fiction writer? Mm, well, my list is entirely fiction. Um, and so the, the big thing is in a lot of ways that isn't necessarily true for somebody who, who writes nonfiction and, and, and has, you know, a lot of research and maybe journalism to report back on and, and easier time with journal articles and kind of other, um, platform builders. Like my job, as I see it as an agent representing fiction is like I, I kind of describe the author career as like a three-dimensional game of chess 
Um, and that like the, the needs and the requirements of somebody changes and even the relationship changes depending on what move you make during this chess game. And so like, to me, I think a truly great agent is constantly interrogating the needs and, um, the, the, the environment of, of a, of a writer and making sure that they're still able to produce not only in a, in a high quality way, but in a way that leaves them feeling satisfied, um, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, financially. The emotional uh, <laughs> thing is really big right now. Yeah. I would yeah. say. Yeah. And it's, and that changes, you know, it changes even based on, the week, whether, you know, you turned in your manuscript or you're waiting to turn it in, you know, that and, and interrogating those needs and making sure that you're always looking for opportunities to, to kind of give them a space to create, but also give them room to, to build a career. Um, that, that is, I think the primary purpose. I mean, besides the whole selling books thing, that's, that's a given. (laughs) Wow, so that was really eloquent, and I don't know Thank how Eric's going to follow that up. Uh, well, good luck, man. I mean, like, so I only do, um, just looking at like the composition of my author list, I'm probably like one-third fiction, I think. And like a big part of that, uh, and maybe this is just like the stuff I'm signing, you know, I mean, I have tastes that aren't necessarily totally in line all the time with where contemporary fiction is at, as you and I, Connor, have talked about at length. Um, <laughs> and it sort of means that there's a little bit of trial and error sometimes, you know, like I'll have a client write something and it's, um, you know, kind of a weirder book or something. And it's like, all right, well, let's send it out. Let's see what we can get for feedback. And like really kind of working with them through that process of feedback and helping them see, and this is something I truly believe it's not just like client management handholding, seeing like the submission process as like progress, even when you're not getting a yes yet, you know, like, being able to like look at feedback and say, hey, these people are saying this about your writing. Maybe this can inform what we're doing. Maybe we can revise a little bit. Maybe we can do this or that. And like, I mean, basically to me, like when I look at what's happening to fiction writers right now, it's like they're having a hard time responding to what's coming in. You know, you know, I mean, journals and magazines are really slow and unresponsive. I mean, agents can be really slow and unresponsive. When I submit to publishers, they can be really slow and unresponsive. And like the result is that it's tough to know how it's going, I think, sometimes for fiction writers. And my job is I see it a lot of the time as like being able to like take these data points and take what I'm hearing and saying, even if it's scraps and kind of building a cohesive narrative for them to kind of understand their own work as it relates to the market, you know. And it's led, I think, to, you know, some stronger second books. It's led to you know, people publishing in other journals and figuring out what they want to do next and all that kind of stuff. And, but like what, you know, right now, I mean, it's tough out there, you know, being a fiction writer for for reasons I'm sure we're going to get into, but like, it's so much of what I think I do is like helping people see that even while it is difficult, you're still like, not all is lost, you know, that things are still moving in the direction you want them to, that, um, you're, you are valid as a talent and that it is going to pay off at some point because I wouldn't have signed you if I didn't believe it. You know what I mean? Like that, that sort of thing. And, um, so like that sort of emotional advocate slash strategist role, I think is really important. Yeah. So, okay. That's another, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pete. Oh no. It's one of the things like, um, I haven't listened to a ton of the episodes of your podcast, but I have started listening to them and I've been following you guys on Facebook for a while. And even just hearing what I'm hearing from you now, one of the things that's coming through again and again is that you've got a hell of a lot of passion behind what you're doing as agents. You really believe in what you're doing. How did you get here? You want to go first, Laura? Um, like how did we become agents or how did we become the the dynamic duo because those, <laughs> those are different answers um uh, wait, it's it, actually not a different answer for me is but, it not oh well, well no, then I eric should go first, first. Laura was an agent you know? that's true and i um i you came looking for freelance work and i 
told you to meet Don, who's the owner of our of our former agency, and then just thinking that you guys would have like a coffee. Uh, and then he, he like comes back to me. He's like, hey, thanks for, you know, thanks for this connection. I guess I'm an agent now. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's, so here's my story. I worked um, out of college. I went out east and, you know, packed my stuff up and did the whole get a publishing internship thing and be an editorial assistant and you know, kind of work your way up that ladder such that you're able and like three or I guess it was like three and a half years in, I just burnt out on it. Like it was, I mean, I don't need to be the one to tell you that publishing work out East, I mean, you don't get paid anything. You're living in New York city. You're, um, it's like the numbers really don't work for very long, you know? And apart from that, you, you work overtime all the time without any pay. You do all this kind of stuff. That's really kind of just, it wears you down, and it, and it did wear me down. Um, and I kind of just packed up and said, all right, what's the next best publishing city I can find? And picked Minneapolis because it's good here, and I feel vindicated in that choice. The scene's nice out here. And kind of just started knocking around and found this opportunity. But, like, I mean, I really – I think the reason I wanted to do the agenting thing is because I really liked buying books. Like, So I was an acquisitions editor in my last role. Um, at Easton, I liked being a part of that exchange. I liked, you know, talking to agents and authors and deciding if something could work for our list and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, all right, well, what's the other, you know, there's not that many publishing houses in Minneapolis. And so there's not that many like fancy editor jobs that were just waiting for me as I, when I showed up. And so it was like, all right, well, what else can you do? And this was the role. And it's been, I think a much better fit because agenting lets you like range about and find things you really want regardless of fit. You know, there's no conversation about like, well, is this a, you know, I, like I worked at Oxford university press for a while. Is this, is this an Oxford book? Is this an overlook book? And places that work, it's like, well, this, no, it's a book that I like and I'll go find a place for it, you know? And that's, I think a much freer place to be. And I'm pretty glad I'm here. So. Oh, very cool. Uh, and Laura, you just, you sprang fully formed as an agent <laughs> from the head of Zeus basically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, after nine publishing internships. Um, That's such a cartoonish note. I can't, but every time you say that, I just, man, it blows yeah. my mind. I mean, like, nine? not all, nine. Um, not all of them were, like, deeply structured. Like, a lot of them were, like, reading, like, yeah. reading for places. And, and you know, like, I did an internship, which was actually just, like, free editing for this, like, Christian publisher out of, like, somewhere in Africa for a couple of months because I needed to practice editing. Like, some of it was sketch as hell, but then some of it was, like, very formal and very, like, traditional. Well, so you um, can see how this builds, right? Like, you, like the picture kind of comes into focus how <laughs> publishing builds its, you know, its, like, entry-level stuff. It just... It's hiring everybody for sketchy internships and paying nobody anything, and it's it's really bad. Yeah. But. I will say that I did get paid for two of my internships, so oh, nice. two out of the nine. <laughs> almost um, a third. Yeah. <laughs> almost a third. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm you know I'm very lucky. One of the ones that paid was the editorial internship at Learner, which is a children's publisher in the Twin Cities. Very, um, they do some trade, but they're mostly academic. Um, and by academic, I mean like schools and libraries, um, cause it's for kids. Uh, and there was one of me, like I was the only intern. Um, but yeah, I, I lucked into that. Um, essentially I was an English major. I come from a family of teachers on one side, uh, on my mom's side. And then on my dad's side, I actually come from a, a journalist background. So at like Tons and tons and tons of people on my dad's side of the family, they're, they're in magazines. And to the point where, you know, they started them and then everybody else who isn't in writing or editing or journalism in some sort of way, they're all artists. And so growing up, there was kind of this idea where it's like, well, you know, like the arts aren't a bad choice. <laughs> the arts are like how people in my family made their money. Um and so it never, like, it never scared me off. Uh, and when I was in college, I had the opportunity to study abroad in London. And part of my program there was that I um, had the opportunity, if I had the right kind of visa, which I did, was to get, like, headhunted and maybe an intern, like, I would get an internship. Uh, and the internship that 
you know, the group that wanted to hire me was actually a nonfiction publisher. So like calendars, art books, cookbooks, etc. Um, and I was not enthused about the internship in any way, shape or form. Uh, but That's then a theme I, too, is people yeah. end up working wherever you can find it. Exactly. Outside of, you know, whatever category, whatever genre, whatever thing you might even tangentially be able to call a book is <laughs> a publishing job at the start, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I, I ended up loving it and I, and I got a lot more freedom than you would get in any sort of internship in America. Um, because first the labor laws are better. And second of all, um, the, one of the editors at this particular publisher was on maternity leave because those laws are better too. Um, <laughs> big surprise. And so I, I got to do real work and then I came back and that was internship number one. I came down and at, you know, make a long story short, I cycled through nine of these suckers. Um, one of the last ones was an intern at Red Sofa, which, had, which very quickly turned into an apprenticeship. So I, I think I got the internship in May, and I acquired my first author in November. Oh, cool. Okay, so yeah, there's a there's a winding path in both of these cases. <laughs> I think it's really interesting and telling. And I, I want to go back to what you're saying about like what the role of an agent is because I was thinking about this. I was talking someone else this um, with my own experience about my own experiences recently, and I was saying, well. <laughs> Sometimes and sometimes from a writer's point of view, um, you know, the role of agent when when something is not like actively being sold, it can feel nebulous. Um, yeah. Obviously, like when something is being sold, it's pretty clear what's, what the agent is doing. But uh, and I, you know, I started the metaphor that I landed on is sort of like it's your it's your corner person like in boxing. Yeah. It's the person that has to be be there for you uh, through everything. And like so much of it is like what happens behind the scenes when nothing dramatic is going down. And, and that seems to be uh where you both have landed on. Uh, is that fair to say? I yeah. think so. I mean, it's one of those things where like publishing just moves so slowly. Like it doesn't feel any faster for us. You know what I mean? Like I feel like authors a lot of the time, you know, there's this correct narrative that publishing moves like molasses. Like it doesn't feel any better on this side of things. Like <laughs> stuff really does go slow. And so you have to kind of figure out a way to, make that feel productive and also be doing things in the interim, which as kind of Laura, as Laura pointed out, like that's easier to do when you're like in the nonfiction sphere. Cause those authors are usually doing other things like podcasting or, you know, writing articles or doing other kind of projects and stuff in a way that maybe fiction writers aren't quite as readily. And so fiction writers don't do anything. It turns out <laughs> just sit around in their salons and um, I don't know. I've got a lot of book. All of my fiction authors have decided to finish all of their novels in the same week. So to that me, happens it's, too from, weirdly, yeah, yeah, for my, for my inbox right now, it seems like they do hell of a lot. <laughs> That's because yeah. like 90% of actual writing happens in July and August. That's yep. a little known fact. Uh, really? Huh. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, that's my view at least. That's where most of mine happens to be honest. But, um, so taking off from that, uh, you know, so I, I want to preface this by saying once again, uh, Print Run, your podcast, is an incredible resource. It's a detailed resource, partly because your catalog of episodes runs so deep and you have great exclusive content for people who care about it. And I would go so far as to say, as I have said to many people, uh, it's the best writer-facing resource on the publishing industry that I've ever encountered. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you're most welcome, and I, I truly believe <laughs> that. So I, I, I'm prefacing my question to say, like, everyone to get answers to these kind of questions should definitely just go listen to your podcast. Um, <laughs> but you know, while we've got you here, I, I want to sort of dig into like what one of the core issues on that pod is, which is just like a, 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 the way that, that uh, Eric in particular framed it, talking about like what the purpose of an agent is. Is we, we kind of have to talk about you know. Uh, not just what fiction writers are doing in 2019, but the plight of fiction writers. It's a plight, mm. you know, uh, mm. unfortunately. And um, I, I just want to, you know, the state of publishing as a whole, commercial publishing as a whole is fraught. And fiction writers are adult, uh, fiction writers write for adults, especially, uh, are catching like maybe the brunt of that in a lot of ways, or maybe not. But I mean, in light of declining fiction sales and an arguably sort of narrowing set of opportunities, perhaps at least, and just the the industry getting more and more conservative and scared and confused about what it's doing, you know, I mean, 
I guess first it's like, where are we? But also like, where do we go from here? And especially when you're talking to our audience of readers and many people who are also writing in various ways. I mean, what, what would you say to them? Like, what should they do? Like, what is it, what's the actual, what are we doing here as a group? You know. <laughs> well, so it's, I guess the question, is, you know, the question of what should any, what should you do is different depending on who you are. If you're a, like, one thing I say to clients a lot, like in this kind of scenario where it's like, maybe you write something and it doesn't, it doesn't sell or whatever it is. Um, the impulse then is often for the writer to turn around and say, all right, well, I'm going to try to write to this trend, right? I'm going to, I'm seeing these things getting published. I'm seeing this sort of story happen right now. And so I'm going to write one of those. And I, and Laura knows this better than me, but like the idea is like, don't write to trends cause you're already like a year and a half late, you know, like, cause the, the books are already getting acquired. Like, for something new you haven't seen yet. And so like, to me that that's a little bit peaceful because things come back around. Like, you know, the, as an artist, I think the role and it's tough to do, is just like put the blinders up and write the thing you're trying to write. You know, like if you're someone who has a specific story in mind, don't try to cater to a, to a field that you don't even necessarily like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the time, like chasing trends means writing something you don't, actually think is that good you know and i would say like just stay in your lane you know keep doing what you're doing and eventually the like the industry will circle around back to you you know i i i, I totally agree with that and uh, and amongst you know the other like sound bitey pieces of advice where it's like never actually go to a conference expecting to pitch your book and have that be like what you're pinning your hopes on because just like use it as a time for critique because queries are free. Um, <laughs> like besides that sort of thing. Um, I, I think really like my biggest piece of advice, particularly for fiction authors is like, stop listening. Um, and that's really funny to say because I have a podcast about publishing and about these very topics. But like what I mean by that is, so there's there's this narrative, right? That's that's built to to create this existential panic in a writer it's 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 a more of like a structural version of the like you can't make art unless you're suffering sort of thing right so there's this idea that books are dying writers like art is dying like all of this everything's bad right like that's the idea um, <laughs> that's what twitter told me at least yeah that's, i mean and right and so like and i think one thing that eric and i seek to do um, particularly on print run is, is to really like interrogate what those narratives are trying to do. Um, so like, for example, like fiction isn't going anywhere. Like we're in this amazing technology renaissance. We are in this moment where audiobooks are going from, uh, almost never used subwrite to something where, there are more opportunities now for creative formats and creative recordings and audio first. You know, we we have the the technology, the AI to help pair us with the perfect book. We have, you know, we have the technology to have play with play with format in a way that we haven't been able to do since um, mail was delivered twice a day. You know, you know what I mean? Um, and there's there's all of these opportunities. I think the big panic is that publishing no longer looks like how you think it does. Um, and so for a writer, there's this idea that um Everything like I'm not going to get what's in my brain because what's in my brain is almost impossible to achieve. But like to me, that opens you up as a writer to a lot of really enticing and exciting creative opportunities, um, both, you know, kind of like structurally. Um, but even like I find it I find it to be very freeing. And, you know, when we talk about I'm I'm like going on now. Um <laughs> but like we this talk great, about huh? how publishing yeah. is conservative, right? And and I think, you know, one of the big theses of print run is that publishing actually isn't like as centrist as you think it is. And in fact, it's not liberal like for for a um for business that in a lot of ways controls the 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 kind of mindset and point of view of an entire nation it pretends um, to be very liberal it, it pretends to be very liberal, liberal. it's no. also not very it's also becoming more and more conservative in, in terms of like the risk that it takes and you hear all this stuff about 
the the mid-list shrinking, um, which is totally true. But what that, like, as a writer, like, that should be part of your overall strategy for your career. And it ha- should have nothing to do with what it is that you're actually writing. So, like, what do you, so, Laura, I'm going to ask you, I'm yeah. going to ask you a question about that. Like, so, one thing I was going to kind of get into as mm-hmm. well is, like, like the problem as you're characterizing it, Connor, I think is that the midlist has shrunk. And what we mean by that is like there are big books that publishers invest tons of money in, you know, that, you know, get the big advances and the big things. And then there's the, you know, the not big books, the ones that don't, you know, the debut novels that don't get as much advance that it's, you know, publishers sort of take a wait and see approach on, you know, they're not going to invest anything unless it shows a spark on its own and then they'll try to capitalize on existing momentum, that kind of thing. And so that makes it tricky. And it also, you know, like Laura is saying, it makes um, publishers much more risk averse. Um, and so Laura, it sounds like you kind of have a thought on, you know, if you're a writer, how do you respond to, you know, the thing publishing is doing, you know? Yeah. Um, so one, so with, with regards to like mid list specifically, um, my main thought is that like, don't take cues from your publisher, <laughs> you know, yeah. like publishing is very slow and we're going through a lot of growing pains now, um, with regards to the books that are being acquired. Um, but also in terms of like how people sell books, because the world and the technology and the way that people, consume media happens way faster than publishing does. Um, and so a lot of the shrinking midlist, I think is not going to be like, I even think that that's not going to be something we're talking about in five years. What I think that it is right now is that it is a symptom of publishers trying and failing to sell books the same way that they always did. And so they're no longer wanting to invest in a midlist because they don't know how to sell it. But like, here's the thing. We're also in this really exciting time when people can directly reach readers and they can directly, um, you know, they can create buzz by themselves and they don't even have to spend any money to do it. And so as long as, you know, you're you're savvy or, you know, if you have a podcast and, you know, like there there are ways to kind of become the midlist yourself without like. So previously, the, a publisher would decide that you were going to be a midlist author, and that would affect how, me, how much like structural support they gave you. And they, you know, there was kind of, and it had to do with how many books that you had a year and that sort of thing. Like you were built to be a midlist author, you know, right from right from the get go that you are a midlist author. Um, publishers aren't doing that anymore. You know, you can set yourself up to be a midlist author. You can, um, and honestly, like I, I love a steady paycheck, so I'm a big fan of midlist authors. We all should uh, be. Would, <laughs> the industry would totally reshape itself if the middle, if the yeah, if the midlist existed again. Yeah, and you know, there you can you can make those decisions now for yourself. Is what I'm saying. Okay. There's just more tools. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's if like you're saying, like it used to be. You know, if you were kind of stuck on the end of things where the publishers didn't want to invest up front. Like there was no, there was no way to make your case. You know, you couldn't really build a following without their help. And now you absolutely can. And they will somewhat reactively and lazily try to take advantage of that. But you know what? That's also in your interest too. So it's like, you just kind of go with it. But so, so it's, it sounds like one, I'm going to let Pete, I just want to like do some very basic, go, basic simplification and, and say that that there's so much to unpack there. But I guess one way to conceptualize it is to say like, there is not a, crisis of fiction as a form necessarily and there's not uh, necessarily a crisis for writers who are serious about their work because of that but there is a very specific crisis with the industry is that a fair statement yeah I'm I'm honestly more enthusiastic about fiction than I am about like the the business side of things what do you mean so I, I think that there we've reached a point where there are more people, you know, being being given a platform um, or should I should say probably taking a platform because um, <laughs> not people who haven't had a space at the table aren't necessarily really being given spaces right now, even though we're trying Um 
but like for me, I'm, I'm really enthused by, so I'm as a fiction agent, I'm doing a ton of IP where if you're listening to this and you don't know what that is, it stands for intellectual property in publishing. It's basically, um, work for hire. Right. And so I have authors doing IP novels. I have authors doing IP collaborations and IP serials and IP graphic novels um, and all of these really exciting tie-ins. You know, one of my books is based on a rap song that was written for a podcast. <laughs> and then the book, like it's a novella, and then the the people who wrote the song are going to be making more music inspired by the novella. Like that shit doesn't happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that wouldn't have happened five years ago. Um, and so I'm... As, as somebody who is not actually a writer, but, but really is excited by where people can go with what their, you know, the, the limits of their imagination, I'm really excited by that. Um, I, I think that you can kind of take all of the problems with the business and really bring it back to kind of three issues, um, which kind of distills down into like two issues, um, One is just like publishing hasn't ever figured out a way to how to reconcile with technology. Like the biggest invention in publishing was actually the printing press. (laughs) It's been a long time. Right. (laughs) Uh, And then the I think I think the the other big thing is is finances and 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 directly pulled from the finances is the lack of the lack of diversity in publishing. But like I think truly at its core those three things kind of lead us to Amazon. Those three things lead us to the disappearing midlist. Those lead us to, you know, the, the institutional racism in publishing. Like all of that is distilled from, from those, from those things. And I, and I believe that people are working through them. Um, but I, I see those things as being separate than the actual like plight of the fiction author. Wow. Okay. That was a really, <laughs> I loved it. That's a great, great deep yeah. dive. And I'm sorry that I cut Pete off. What were you going to get in there with, man? Oh, well, okay. Let's, because I am a consumer of the product, like I'm not really involved in this chain at all, except what I, what I get at the bookstore at the end of it. So um, this is what I would do normally. So I want you to visualize this. I either, I take you to Psycho Susie's and I buy you a painkiller or I bring you to Red Rabbit and I get you a Manhattan, like whatever it is to make you comfortable. And then I'm like, all right, how the hell did this happen? What happened to the publishing industry? Because it seems like from 1990 to now, it's been a shitstorm. <laughs> I've got news for you. It's been a shitstorm way before that. <laughs> okay. It's just nobody talked about it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Eric, do you have thoughts about this? I, mean, I know you thing, do. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think is happening, you know, when I like, so one thing um, just for context, like Laura, you work on more science fiction fantasy, um, which obviously is a lot of the listeners of the show are interested in that. Um, I do more of what you would call, not necessarily as like a qualitative, you know, evaluation, but like as a selling category, um, what you would call a literary novel. Um, you know, I do more of that kind of stuff. And one thing I'm definitely seeing in my neck of the woods that I find to be pretty deeply frustrating is like an over-reliance on precedent, I guess is what you could say. It's like everything now has become, how can we make this book exactly like the last one, right? Like how this, this thing, like it, and it sort of feels like it stems from this idea that um, no one quite, and I don't know that ever anyone ever really should, but no one quite has a way of like hard and fast selling fiction. And so like when something works for whatever reason that is either identifiable or not identifiable, like you just try to replicate it. And sometimes that, it means literally finding another book that you can compare it to as vigorously as possible. Um, sometimes it means, you know, I mean, you see this a lot, you know, the most easy visual representation of this is like cover design trends, right? Like everything looks like everything else all the time. And it's, I mean, I guess like my point here is one reason I think so much of this is frustrating is like, there's this over-reliance on, Okay, well, what worked? What worked last time, along with the expectation that people are like producing things that are supposed to be original and new, and it makes for kind of a, a strange scene because 
um, on the one hand, something can, depending on how an acquisitions person is feeling that day, something can already have been done before, or it can be something that capitalizes on the momentum of, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's, it's just, it's really tough to kind of navigate that sometimes. And I guess I don't really know like what the answer is there. I mean, other than, um, just having good taste and knowing it when you see it and going by feel and all those things that lots of people do way better than me, but like it's, you just want there to be a little bit more ascribed logic sometimes. Like I think a big point of frustration across the process with any of this kind of stuff is like, why is this thing that is happening happening? You know, like why don't, you know, people want to buy this book that I'm certain and everyone I've given it to is certain is really good. You know, why does this one kind of project keep showing up even though no one I talk to likes it in any way, you know, like that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that it's, uh, it's just tough to say, and like it, get, it gets back to that conversation about, um, you know, where did the mid list go? Because I think like when publishers are willing to invest some in books, like you get a little bit more risk taking, like you know, you and you'll get a little bit more like stuff that like a lot of this is self fulfilling prophecy, right? Like if you don't, if you publish a book that maybe is a little bit different than the kind of stuff you've used to do, and it doesn't sell anything, and you also didn't give it any resources to maybe help it sell anything then you can point to that and say, well, this didn't work and we can't do any books like that again. And it just kind of creates this like feedback loop where nothing innovative can happen, where we can only do the sorts of things that we've already seen before. And I don't know. I mean, I think that that cycle kind of breaks down if we were um, you know, distributing advanced money a little bit more evenly. You know? Yeah, I mean, that all sounds like extremely smart based on my limited exposure to all of this. And I especially think like your point um, about like <laughs> people, they want the exact same thing, but they also don't want to feel like what they're doing is unoriginal. It's just like, what right. are you supposed to do <laughs> from that? It's, it's incredible oh. to me. Um, I do have a question that's maybe a little bit loaded to ask to two literary agents, but because we're in a genre fiction setting, um, mm-hmm. I, do him, feel, I do feel obliged to ask like as agents, particularly, uh, you know, given the state of fiction publishing or publishing writ large, um, what would you say to writers who become convinced for whatever reason, and maybe they've gotten representation at some point or they can't get representation or like, you know, they're, they're serious about their work. They're not just writing uh, absolute tripe, at least they're not trying to. Um, right. And they, they become convinced that their only path is going to be self-publishing. Uh, you know, would you, would you try to talk them out of that? Like, what would you say to those people? So this is a really funny question for you to ask me, um, thinking that it's loaded because in addition to being a literary agent, I'm also the vice president of a partner publishing company, which is kind of like (laughs) the self publishing as close as, as you can get to traditional publishing. Um, I actually have been there for almost seven years. Um, yeah, (laughs) you really turned the tables on me there. Um, and I actually really love it because it's, it's very, um, like it, it allows me to do all of the things that I have to turn down in traditional publishing. Um, and then all of the things that I can't do in self-publishing, I get to do in traditional publishing. And it's like, yay, best of both worlds. Um, and so there's, there's, a, there's also a reason for um, – so a little bit of background. I started at Red Sofa, my previous agency, at the same time as an intern that I started as an intern at this other company. Um, and I just like fell in love with it and never left uh, and the, the reason for that is because I am able to work with authors who are truly and honestly best suited for self-publishing. Um, so to rewind back to your question a little bit, the, the, you know, if somebody's convinced that they should self-publish given the state of, you know, publishing or whatever, then, I think that they should with like a caveat. Um, And the caveat is that self-publishing should not be ever a replacement for, well, I couldn't get an agent or I don't want to bother trying to get an agent. So I just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this. Cause like the truth, the dirty truth about self-publishing is that it takes just as much, if not any more, if not more effort. Um, And 
It's nobody wants to just throw something up because they're frustrated or mad at the world (laughs) and then come to deeply, deeply regret or even be embarrassed about their work a year or two later. Um, That's kind of the point, right? That intentionality of it. Yeah. And so like I and I, you know, I work in science fiction and fantasy and romance as an agent. I have authors on my list who are hybrid where they self-publish some of the things and they traditionally publish other things. And we build that into the strategy, right? Like that's that's the point. Um, and the and the big thing is that, like, there's there's more room for flexibility of behavior as a traditional author than there is for a for a self published author. And what I mean by that is, if you want to be a traditional author, you can totally just be like the dude that sits in a coffee shop and writes. Um, and that's it. <laughs> like you can also be the person who is like going to cons and pushing your own book and like hustle, hustle, hustle. Um, and there's a lot of room in between. If you are self-publishing, uh, and I believe that the only people that should self-publish should be the ones that are like committed to doing it right. Like you are committing to being your own publisher. You're not committing to just like not having an agent. Um And so, like, if somebody has an entrepreneurial spirit and they want and need the control over their book and they're willing to give the book two to three years of your life after it comes out to market and push it and be the publisher for this book, awesome. Go fucking do it. (laughs) You know, but like it's it's not it's like and like absolutely because self-publishing is awesome. It's just not awesome as a replacement for frustration and failure in traditional publishing. That's I think it just re- it requires a ton of I mean, self-publishing is hard. You know, like I think a lot of time people talk about it like they view the dichotomy between traditional and self-publishing as like, well, you know, I'm just going to put something, you know, I'll just quickly, you know, get a typeset or whatever and put out a book and that's not really what self-publishing means anymore, you know. It means like really taking care with how you are going to figure out how to promote the book on your own, making sure it's designed right, you know, finding people to help you with it. Like it's, it's a whole pro like you sort of become your own publisher in all that that job title means, you know, like it's, um, it's actually a really, it's, it's kind of like Laura said, like you've got to really be kind of a pro about it. And, um, the people who are, who can make it work. I mean, you know, I mean the numbers, if you know what you're doing, it can be way better. I mean, you make way more per book than, um, someone who's getting a royalty check from a publisher. So, yeah. Okay. That was a, a somewhat surprising, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like definitive answer. Cause I mean, you know, when you're, uh, I mean, lay my cards on the table, I'm 29 years old. I am represented, uh, by someone who is not either of you. Although, uh, you know, I, not to, not to diss my agent at all, but like, <laughs> I think you, I think you would both do an amazing job. Uh, so <laughs> all the confidence in the world, but I guess what I'm saying is like, I'm a young writer. I tried to publish my first novel, Represented, and I kind of pulled back on it after uh, some rejections because sort of like in line with what you're saying, um, I realized that if we pushed it in a certain way and kept revising it, it could probably land somewhere. But I got to the point where it was like, well, you know, you've got the you got the, the, the groundwork here to potentially sell this thing, but you've sort of realized, uh, you know, you've matured past it. It probably, you don't want it to be your debut project anymore. And you're no longer feeling that desperation to like validate your entire existence. It's not the book anymore. Exactly. And so like that, that could apply to someone who's repped or someone who's not repped. It seems like where it's like you, once you can get past that feverish feeling of like, I need to validate my existence as a writer by publishing a book, which is a very powerful feeling. Um, and I, it's a powerful feeling that I think is real for every writer at some point if they're being honest with themselves. But I think, I guess a big part of what we're talking about here is that regardless of what you're writing or your circumstances, you need to fight that feeling uh, and try to get to a more confident place. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you've got to be a little, like, if you're, in terms of the um, conversation you're having with yourself about, like, self-publishing or not, like, it becomes one that I think, you almost have to take passion out of the equation, right? Like, it's got to be, what's the best choice, you know, what, how do I weigh my time? You know, what am I actually going to be able to do as a self-published author? Like all these different things. But like, I also like one thing I tell my fiction clients who maybe haven't sold their first book or whatever it is, like, um, you're always way younger than you think, you know, like a lot of stuff, you know, it's hard, it's hard to preach patience to writers because it's like, such an inherently lonely thing to do and you do it for so long for no, like, I mean, the, 
work situation of writing a novel and trying to publish it and getting compensated for it is it's absurd i mean there's no it's like tough to even talk about in terms of the like yeah. you work for years on something you'll make you know five figures on you know maybe you know what i mean like it's it's tough but like and so it's tough to say you know what just give it a little more time be patient write the next thing but i do think that um like a lot of the time when it finally happens, people are pretty glad that they stayed the course that they, you know, like a lot, you know, even if it wasn't, if it's not that first book, like one thing that happens a lot is, you know, you write the, um, you write the second book and that's the one that sells. And then you're able to, you know, whoever you're working with at a publishing house, you know, is maybe suddenly interested in that second, in that first one, all of a sudden, you know, like the first, it's books never really die, you know? Like when people talk about it's time to no longer pitch this thing or it's time to, you know, shelve this project, it really does mean just like shelve it and not throw <laughs> it away. You know, like stuff comes back and it's like we were talking about, like trends circle back around and stuff. And so suddenly that thing you've got in your drawer is like perfectly what someone is looking for all of a sudden. And then you've got it, you know. And um, but I guess like for me, it's always like, especially, yeah, I mean, I think that. Um, there's like always this rush to be, you know, the youngest, you know, whatever doing whatever. And I think fiction often, you know, I don't know that it lends itself to that quite that readily, or at least not that well, you know, like, I mean, there's a lot of young novelists, but are they, you know, are they doing the kind of work that you want to be doing? You know, I mean, that's a whole, you could do a whole podcast episode <laughs> what we're seeing out of, yeah. you know, younger, I don't know. But yeah. the, the 27-year-old memoirists are definitely doing the best work That's right what now. I'm talking yeah, about. Kind of it's like, what are we doing here, people? Like, it's, I don't know. If, it, if yeah. it helps you and your existential angst, um, please know that I um, went on submission with an author's book, like her first book, um, in 2014, I think. Um and it didn't sell, it didn't sell. We ended up selling the second book um, that she wrote when I was like, okay, great, we're on submission. You're not going to hear anything. You're going to drive yourself crazy. Go write something else. And we ended up selling that something else. Um, and then we couldn't sell that first one. And we sat on it and sat on it and sat on it. Um, and I finally sold it this year for four times the amount of money, over four times the <laughs> amount of money that we got for the first book that actually did sell. And so like, truly, you know, it's really easy to hear like Eric or me say, you know, shelving really just means shelving, but like the market changes, um, you, you know, your ability to revise changes, um, that is you know, wild. even even just like the thrust of your career changes, truly. Um, you know, I've been having this this really great moment with I have two different romance authors who are jumping a little bit into like the science fiction and fantasy realm because the the market right now is really ripe for that sort of like crossover in a way that I couldn't have done like two years ago. You know what I mean? Like there's there is you know, having more for your agent to just like sit on and maybe throw at somebody just in case, like that's never a bad thing ever, ever, ever. Yeah. Okay. That's, that is encouraging because <laughs> I haven't heard a story quite like that, but that is a, that's a great one. Um, yeah, yeah. dude, it's, we got so much money for this book. <laughs> <laughs> Racking some stacks. I love it. That's yeah. great. Um, wow. So I, okay. We have gone very deep and wide and I think this has been extremely productive and therefore, uh, I think what I want to do now is let both of you just, you know, go into as much detail as you want on what's so great about your new agency. <laughs> you know, I want to hear, I want to hear, um, you know, I want to hear your pitch for it and just tell us whatever you want to tell us about it. Well, so this is what I like about it. Um, and the reason I think that we kind of wanted to do the thing in the first place, you know, years ago, well, we were both, you know, like pretty like we were, you know, treated pretty well at our old place. Like, you know, it's not like we had this dying need to get out of there. It was just like the chance to like, when you work as an agent, you're a contractor, right? Like you work on commission. Like it's not like, I mean, I guess there are, sal there are some people, you know, who are salaried and stuff, but a lot of the, the industry norm is like, um, you know, you're not paid a salary. You're paid only on what you, you know, on what you sell for others. And it's, it sort of creates this situation where, 
you sort of feel like the writers too. You know what I mean? It's like when people are trying to make a career out of being a writer, there's all this time where you're working and not getting paid, you know? And it's sort of the same thing for us, you know, in a lot of ways and on certain projects, especially when you're starting out. And I think like what kind of clicked for me was seeing, especially like being someone who works with so many um, clients who are kind of more on the nonfiction side, maybe maybe they're journalists or they're podcasters or they're whatever, you know, now they've decided to kind of turn that into a book. Um, It's just like how much stuff a writer has going on other than the book and how limited my role felt in that regard. Like, you know, I'm watching clients of mine try to manage whole you know, diverse sets of their platform, right? Like they're doing all these different things to try to get their name out there, to get their work out there. And my job, or so I was told, is to sit back and just wait for them to have a book proposal. And until then, I can't really help with anything. And that felt backwards and not really reflective of like what's actually happening to writers right now, which is that they have to do a bunch of stuff that isn't just write a book. And so like, I think a big part of what uh, Laura and I are trying to do here is like create not just like an agency that can, you know, pitch books and negotiate contracts and all the kind of traditional stuff, but really kind of be an advocate for all the other things writers do, whether it's like find MFA programs, whether it's apply for grants, whether it's set up, um, you know, try to find, you know, short form gigs, you try to find, you know, try to set up newsletters, blogs, podcasts, you know, all these different things that people are doing, you know, we want to be do a good part posts. of that. We, yeah, exactly. We, you know, I, I try, I encourage all my authors get, you know, log on, stay logged on. Uh, you are uh, so mean. What a terrible thing to say. to someone. Uh, No, um, but uh, it's, I mean, I think like for me, like the reason, you know, the reason I'm excited about it is it's like, we want to grapple honestly with the fact that being a writer right now is really hard, like circumstantially, like most people are living in cities where, you know, the rent is too high, where they're not getting caught, you know, where p- magazines and whoever can pay whenever they want, you know, they can, you know, pay whatever they want. It feels like sometimes like, I mean, all these different things that are kind of stacked against you. And it's like, man, it would just be nice to have someone whose job it was to help with that stuff, you know? And, we want to kind of do that and we want to kind of respond honestly to the conditions of being a writer right now in a way that agencies that I think were like, like we said earlier, like publishing moves kind of slow, you know, and like trends, you know, technology and trends take a while to get adapted. And I think like agencies right now, I think they're behind. Like, I think that they're not like, they're trying to just do book stuff and they're trying to just do book stuff in the most limited um, kind of traditional way possible. And I think there's more to the writing life than that. And if our job is to be representatives of writers, then there's got to be more to our life too. For me, I mean, all of that, obviously. Um, but for me, what I am most excited about Headwater as a, as a business, because fundamentally, like day to day, our jobs are the same, right? Like we're still supporting authors. We're still reading slush piles. You know, we're still selling books. Um, but what I'm the most excited about headwater as an idea is that Eric and I sort of got to to really think critically about the structural support that an eight like as a that an agency as, as an organization can offer to writers um so a little bit of background like the the reason probably one of the reasons honestly that I had nine publishing internships is because I couldn't afford to move to New York and like to go where the publishing hiring was, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, and so it took me a long time, you know, I, I, I was very, very lucky and I'm, you know, I was lucky that I was able to live at home and do these internships for free. So I did experience a lot of privilege there, but I also wasn't able to be where the most opportunities were, um, you know, structurally, and so, and I've experienced that, you know, very early on in my career, I started working with disabled authors who couldn't f- hold down a full-time job. I started working with authors who, um, you know, had to sort of pick between paying their rent and, you know, getting a second job to like finishing this book that I'm hoping to sell, you know, and like a lot, I've worked with a lot of authors who have wanted to use 
their art to, to quite literally lift themselves out of poverty. And even the authors that I, and, you know, in some cases we have been able to do that. And that's been really like, nothing feels better in this world than having somebody be able to like quit their shitty, like, (laughs) like minimum wage job and just like be a creative voice in this world. Um, but one of the things, you know, I had, I had an experience a few years ago where, there was an author and they just like, they, you know, they had a choice. They were on deadline for a book and they had a choice. It was either they could meet the deadline of the book or they could pay their bills. And one thing that I was surprised by is not only that my agency wasn't equipped to deal with that problem, but no agency was equipped to deal with that problem. Um, because, you know, the, the way that, you know, we work is we only you know, pay out money when we get money from the publishers. And if the publishers aren't paying because of the, you know, the timeline on your contract, like you're shit out of luck. Um, And so, you know, the author and I figured out a way around it and thank goodness they were able to, you know, not get that second job over the summer. Um, But what that did for me is it really, really highlighted the need for agents to not just be the tools by which projects get published, but really like we have the opportunity to be the tools that allow creativity and art to flourish in a, in a manner that it wouldn't normally. Um, like I love the idea of being able to go, Oh yes. Like you, somebody who wouldn't have been able to get published 20 years ago because of who you are. Um, yeah. If you like, okay, write your book, like we'll pay your rent this month. You know what I mean? And, and like, I love the idea. Headwater has a, um, we have a partnership with a accountant who specializes in working with freelance artists. And so people who have, um, you know, like insecure finances and, and, you know, not sure when they're, when they're going to be, you know, complicated finances, right. They're not sure when they're going to be paid. And so we have a, we're, we're partnering with her so that she, We'll meet with our authors at any given time for free to help them plan out their financials for the year and for their life. Um, And so just being able to like kind of think critically about these situations and about like what we can really do to support the types of authors we want to be working with. um, We're able to, as owners of our own agency, build a platform and build a company around meeting those needs rather than just, yeah, we're going to sell your book and take 15%. Wow. Okay. So that's, those are both incredible answers. I'm, <laughs> yeah. uh, this has clearly been thought through to a level that uh, is really impressive and only makes me, you know, more strongly recommend both your podcast. And uh, if people are at the stage of seeking representation, they should look at your agency as well. Um, and I want I will say this, that you're both being very diplomatic and professional in how you talk about the role of agents, because I've known many writers in my life who can't get their agent to return an email, let alone, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, anything else. So um, I, I want to stress that I, I, I can speak from pretty from direct experience, direct knowledge that uh, you're both going uh, above and beyond what a lot of agents are doing um, on so many levels. So. To be clear, sometimes it does take me a few days to answer an email, but my <laughs> authors know that, and they also like slide into my DMs. So. Right? Yeah, you guys are both yeah. you're both uh, very uh, punctual about DMs, so that's good. Um, yeah, we do. So what we Connor, can. I do have something. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so guys, traditionally. I on the at the end of the podcast I recommend books for people, but I think that would be a stunningly obnoxious thing to do at a couple of agents. <laughs> so instead I have a request for you. If you have a recently published book from one of your clients with science fiction themes and you want us to read it and discuss it for the show, uh let me or Connor know because I think that would be a lot of fun. Oh man. Oh cool. Okay. Can I can I uh get a rain check on that. Cause I've got some really, really great books I'm selling or I'm trying to sell this fall that I think you guys would love. I was assuming this was a long-term <laughs> discussion. So yes. okay, yeah. Great. We would, great. We would love I have a, a, the first, the first author I signed at Headwater. Um, he's working on, he's revising a, a, a contemporary fantasy right now. That's called punk rock paladin. And it's basically just like punching Nazis and it's great. 
Oh wow. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm I thought that look. you guys would like that. Yeah, I, I know. I was like, there's there's a talking lawnmower and punching Nazis. So <laughs> I'll send you guys a copy. That, that sounds awesome. extremely tight. Uh, I think that's a probably a good place for us to do outro on this. Sure. Um, you know, honestly, thank you both, and more importantly, best of luck on everything. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. Thank you for coming. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, everyone.